G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're talking issues today, faith, politics, education, and we'll have a special focus on education ahead of the coming election because our special guest over this next hour, Stephen O'Doherty, has been the CEO of Christian Schools Australia since the organisation's inception back in 2002. In a career that has spanned media, politics and education, he spent 10 years serving as a member of the New South Wales Parliament as a frontbencher in the 1990s. And before that, as a broadcaster and journalist in radio and television, He's in demand as a commentator on political, educational and social issues and significantly Stephen O'Doherty became a Christian midway through his radio career and in his personal and professional life his mission statement's been live a life worthy of the calling you have received Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 Stephen O'Doherty welcome along to 2020 Thank you, Neil. It's really great to be here. Stephen, we'll get into some issues and things like that, uh, but as a personal mission statement, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, That's that's an exciting uh, scripture to call (laughs) on, and uh, it's something, I guess, that's been pretty special to you ever since you uh, became a Christian. Well, well, uh, yes, it has, uh, indeed. um, When our first son was born, when our first child was born, James, uh, and he was um, literally minutes old, I was looking at him and um, praying to God, how can I express what it is that I'm feeling right now, my thankfulness to you, that you brought me into this place where I could be married to Georgina and have this wonderful baby. Um, and I opened my Bible and it fell open to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And that was it. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have been called to. Um, was the verse that it opened. And from that moment, it's been my uh, endeavour to live up to that verse. I spoke about it when I came to the Parliament as a, as a member in uh, 1992. And that in itself was, James was only six months old by that stage. Between his birth and six months later, um, God had used that verse to challenge me about our commitment um, as Christians to live in this world in a way that anticipates the kingdom of God. So, yes, it is important. <laughs> you know, those moments when our children are born, and, uh, you know, you, a lot of us have families and multiple children, and uh, before you have children, you don't necessarily appreciate uh, the importance of what a difference values make in a society. And, and up until that time when you have children, that baby is there in your arms and uh, and uh, ooing and ahhing and gooing and garring, uh, that you appreciate that... Somehow or other, there's a necessity for making a difference in the political landscape, in the way that the social landscape looks in which our children and our grandchildren will be growing up in. And and there is a sense, isn't there, that our values help to shape a society. And we've got an election on the way. Values are very much a part of this election, Stephen. Well, yes, we have a nation that thankfully has uh, some pretty good Christian values at its core, part of its history. You're right about when children are born. I've just, I've experienced it myself, and so many of my friends have as well. Um, 
when you're suddenly holding that child, you realise there's a sense in which, what have I done? You know, we've brought we've brought another human being into this world. Now I have an obligation to make it a better place for this child. What will this child inherit when they grow up? What sort of society will they grow into? These were exactly the thoughts that led God to challenge me to enter the parliament. And many times I would, sometimes we'd pass legislation and I'd go home and my children would be asleep and I'd go and pray over them um, because I was so worried about legislation we had passed. I remember in New South Wales um, passed a particular piece of legislation that... um, related to uh, loosening up the, the drug uh, availability, basically, in our streets. And I was just deeply, deeply concerned about what, how that was going to play out. So these are, the, these are the things that shape us as individuals, as societies. If we ever lose sight of that, then we're not doing what God's called us to do, and our society will get worse. Uh, well, Stephen, the coming election, and we're only just over a week away, and people are talking about this election as being... <laughs> Did I hear you say, thank goodness? <laughs> <laughs> that was my thought. I, I didn't verbalise yeah. it. But yes, you know, no, people are saying, out. well, it's been a long campaign. And, uh, you know, and of course, after the election, there'll be all sorts of debriefings to actually enjoy as well. Uh, but uh, when we've got a week <laughs> away from the election... Um, this is being described as one of the most important elections in a generation because a lot of values are at stake. Uh, what have you been thinking about the sorts of things that are at stake in this coming election? I hope at the end of this election we have a clear, a government with a clear mandate and a clear majority uh, and we're able to achieve what <laughs> uh, Tony Abbott once described as a kinder, gentler polity. We certainly didn't achieve it under his prime ministership, um, and it came out of a really, really difficult time for Australia. So you could say the last two terms of Parliament have been terrible for the national um, exercise of democracy. Look, uh, you know, at one level, democracy democracy works. Uh, It played itself out. People said that... um, the parliament was broken, and I think it was Tony Abbott himself was saying, you know, the parliament is broken and democracy is broken because we couldn't get a clear winner in the lower house. Actually, the, the democracy worked exactly the way it was meant to work. Uh, people were elected um, by democratic vote of the population and under our preferential system, you know, a result. We got a result. We had a parliament. We had a parliament that was so fractious Um, that it reflected the mood in the electorate. That's the interesting thing. I'm not saying we blame ourselves, but in a sense, um, we are a little bit... We are to blame, you know. I suppose those two things have to be held in tension with each other. We probably got the parliament that we asked for. Um, And because we allowed our politicians to be fractious, to be argumentative, because we cheered and applauded when they um, did things that were, um, I guess, at the rougher end of the spectrum. We we cheered and applauded them, and they kept doing it. It's like a circus. So when I say I hope we get a a parliament with a clear majority and a clear way forward, I I really think Australia needs to um, look to its compassionate side and and try to establish this sense that we were just talking about, that we're, we're... We're trying to create a society that's harmonious, that's good for everybody, where people prosper, where the weak are looked after, where the poor are lifted up, um, where people with disabilities are given their dignity, 
Uh, indeed, we're asylum seekers, and um, people of of uh, all races and religions are able to live side by side together. That's the kind of society that we want to uh, that we want to get. I believe that we need to get in this country. We've got to show to the rest of the world how that can be done. Um, and in this day of um, very nasty debate in social media and other places, see if we can't just change the dialogue, change the way things are done. Uh, in order to get better results from our politicians. We ought to be expecting that they'll act in a way that's good for the whole of society and that they won't be dividing and um, you know, making, us, uh, making, us, making us a harsher place than we have been in the past. Well, wanting to invite listeners to participate in our conversation today and you might like to uh, raise an issue, uh, talk about whatever... Uh, issue might be on your heart. Uh, our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Talking through things today, faith, uh, politics, and particularly to education. And Stephen O'Doherty, as CEO of Christian Schools Australia, is there a particular uh, threat, or is there a particular focus that Christian Schools Australia has been working on in the election lead-up? Um, there are three things that we have been speaking about uh, with members of parliament, or three things in particular. Um, the first is funding for students with disabilities. It's still the case today that uh, where you go to school, if you're a child with a disability, uh, where you go to school matters so much that you, in fact, have less choice than your brothers and sisters. If you go to a government school, you receive, let's say, X amount of additional funding for your disability to support you in the classroom, a teacher's aid or whatever is required. If you move to a non-government school, you will very very often get something like X over 10 of the amount of funding. In other words, you, the difference can be you know, as much as, as 10% to 90%. Now, that funding system is broken, and it has been broken for a very, very long time. Forget why it happened, um, but about, gosh, it's nearly 10 years ago, that the coalition promised it was going to put in place a policy system, uh, a policy whereby the additional funding for students with disabilities um, essentially followed them from school to school. In order to do that, uh, and, then, and the Labor Party agree, like that, under the Gonski funding system, that's exactly how it's supposed to work. So we got to the stage by the time the Gonski funding system was implemented by um, Julia Gillard that we had real hope that students with disabilities would be able to get this transportable funding so that then they would, with their parents, they'd be able to go to a Christian school, shall we say, and uh, receive the same additional funding as they would at the government school down the road. That's important because everybody in our country should have the same choice of a faith-based school with disabilities, without disabilities. That is one of their fundamental human rights. The United Nations says so. Um, it is not yet the case that that has been achieved. And when I put that to the Minister, Simon Birmingham, at a forum that we ran in May uh, at Parliament House in Canberra, he admitted that he found it incredibly frustrating that the bureaucracy has not yet been able to come up with a formula that lets us compare funding from state to state. So this is where it's been for 10 years. It's been going around this carousel somewhere in departments of education around the, around the country. And they say, oh, it's too hard to compare students between states and blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't, I just don't uh, agree. I can't accept that. And Simon Birmingham said, well, he, he also was immensely frustrated 
But still, you know, there's a big commitment there of funding from required from both sides of Parliament to achieve that. That's our number one issue. Okay, well, uh, we'll come back to a couple of the other issues perhaps as we go along. Inviting listeners to be part of our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Anne in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along to 2020. Hi. Um, my, my question is, um, as you look at the politics and as they, they give all this thing that they're going to do this and they're going to do that, and then as soon as they get into politics, you know, into the thing... They decide not to do that. So how, you know, how do we know that what they say is going to um, come to fruition? I think it's a deeper question, isn't it? And who can be trusted? How yeah. can we trust our politicians yeah, to? When you see that, you see Tony Abbott said something and it didn't happen. Someone else said something and it didn't happen. You know. So I mean to say, are they just saying it to get their votes, and then once they get in, they don't make that decision? Uh, let's hear from our guest, uh, Stephen. Uh, lies and lies and more lies. In fact, uh, there's lots of accusations flying across the parliament now and uh, in this uh, particular election. Your thoughts on what Anne is concerned about? I think Anne speaks for um, the electorate at large. That's one of the reasons that politics is held in such low esteem in our society at the moment because um, people make promises that they don't keep. Um, and they... And there's a sense in which they'll do and say things that they know can't be achieved in order to be elected. Uh, what goes along with that, by the way, is playing playing to that baying crowd that I spoke about earlier, like being at the circus and, you know, the clown the clown does something because they know it will be popular. Look, we, we have to demand integrity from our politicians, um, clearly. But can I say, as, as one who's walked that road, you know, I, I was a member of parliament, I was a a shadow minister, and made undertakings on behalf of my political party at the time about what we would do if we were in government. Um, you, can, you can say, um, you know, we'll intend to do this, we'll intend to do that, and if you can say how you'll achieve that, you know, these are the measures that we'll take in order to achieve this particular promise, um, sometimes things don't work out. You know, the economy changes, something uh, unexpected happens... We do have to allow our politicians um, uh, the credit for managing in difficult times. And what we as, what we as electors have to um, decide, of course, and is whether or not um, the, ex- the excuse, if it's given, for not doing the thing that was promised, whether that excuse is a valid one. And in your family, in, in your business, uh, at school, wherever, you know that things change. We have a right to expect integrity of character, and we ought to be asking them, how will you achieve these things? And if it doesn't turn out that way, they need to explain to us why. Um, but we also need to occasionally give them, a, you know, give them a break because, for example, if, if, you know, when the Chinese economy turned down, it had a massive impact on the Australian economy. We couldn't have foreseen that. And so the government suddenly has less income um, from stamp duty and royalties and, and so on. Um, to play with than it did before, and sometimes, therefore, promises have to be broken. It's probably the reason, Neil, that these days the the greatest virtue in politics seems to be austerity. Well, and you get this sort of spendometer approach, or mm. we're offering less than the others, therefore we, you know, we're more likely to be able to deliver because we're not promising as much. We look a little more trustworthy. Mm. 
thank you so much to Anne from Labrador for your input today here on 2020. Uh, there's a fine line, I imagine, Stephen, and as you say, you've walked that path. Uh, you were a parliamentarian in New South Wales. Uh, the idea of uh, parliamentarians on whichever side of politics holding a party line and having a party spin, that's a little bit mm. different, isn't it, to uh, telling a blatant lie or being caught out telling something that was, uh, you know, uh, a little bit too hard to believe. Yes, I was reminded of this the other day when <clears throat> I heard somebody, I wish I could remember who it was now, but, um, you know, a former senior politician saying, uh, actually, I'll tell you who it was, it was Malcolm Turnbull. You oh. remember him? He's the oh, Prime Minister. Yeah, that's right. What's <laughs> <laughs> hey, Malcolm doing? No. <laughs> I actually heard him say something that I haven't heard someone say for a long time, and I really resonated with it. He said, look, at the end of the day, I believe in the cabinet system of government. So when you're a member of a cabinet or a shadow cabinet, or indeed if you're elected as a member of a parliamentary party and you, you take your views then to the parliament and you're in the party room where, where, where they decide what your position is going to be on a certain measure, you have your say. You argue forcefully for what you believe in and you argue forcefully for what your electors, your elect, you know, the constituents in your electorate, what they would want you to, uh, to argue. At the end of the day, though, that room decides whether it's the party room, whether it's the cabinet. Uh, it decides what the approach is going to be that the party takes. And I used to sit in the shadow cabinet and think, well, look, I've got very strong views about this reign, these matters. Social policy was my particular beef, education, um, community services and so on. But I know less about water management than, say, that person sitting across the desk from me, the Shadow Minister for Water. Um, and because I trust them and I'm, in, I'm one of their team, I'm going to be persuaded by the argument that they put because I don't have a strong view, um, but I'm going to trust that they do. And I'm going to trust that they've done their homework. That's how cabinet government works, and it's a good process. Now, what that means is you go out from that room and... This is, the part that, this is the part that people probably understand the least. Because you're a part of that team that's made that decision, you've had your chance to have a say, and you've decided that you will um, remain with that team, that you know, you're, you're going to do what the coach says, or if you like, or you then go out and you are responsible for selling that um, policy. Now, if it's a policy that you strongly disagree with, your only course of action, actually, is to say, well, I can't be a part of this cabinet that's going to implement that policy. Therefore, I have to resign my commission as minister or shadow minister or whatever. But if, if you stay in and you're on the team, then your responsibility is to sell the decision that the team has come up with. Does that mean that you argue for things that you don't believe in? Gosh, that's, a, you know, that's the hardest question of all for a person of integrity to, um, to answer. Uh, in all conscience, if someone says to you, yes, your party is doing this, but you believe that, uh, probably the truest answer you can give is, I, I believe in the cabinet system of government. We, had a, we thrashed it out, and this is our decision, and I'm bound by it. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest this hour is Stephen O'Doherty, the CEO of Christian Schools Australia. Let's take a call from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Yeah, good morning, Neil. Good morning, Stephen. Yeah, I just want to make a comment. Um, yeah, all, all the um, listeners should vote for Christian parties, especially, you know, because they're going to stand up for 
the Christian view and, and righteousness and biblical views on all areas, especially education, which is so important. But we also should, you know, make sure that you choose a party that understands the prophetic uh, times as well, you know, uh, suss it out. And to me, that's that's rise up. But there's lots of Christian parties. Uh, I'm, I'm talking in the light of what's happening in Britain at the moment, Brexit. To me, that's Daniel too, just jumping off the pages, you know, this great last kingdom, which is a mixture of iron and clay. The people will be divided yet undivided. Um, that's what I said, so that, that's what I'm making the comment in light of, yeah. Uh, there's lots of things, uh, and people might uh, argue about different interpretations on uh, end times and uh, those biblical prophecies, but uh, but uh, your thoughts on, uh, on what Chris is sharing, uh, Stephen? I'm sure there are many times in history when people have thought that Daniel 2 was um, being fulfilled. Um, and, there, and you're right, we, we're not to know. Uh, that's that's quite clear. We we're left to wonder, but we're not to know uh, the day or the time. Look, I I uh, think that Christians need to weigh very carefully uh, their vote, as anyone does. But as a Christian, you want to make sure that, in Paul's terms, the biblical Paul, um, the government is uh, going to uh, govern well for everybody, understanding that it is subject to God. The, you know, our system of government. Um, is one which uh, is the rule of law, not the rule of the kingdom of God. But Paul says that the authorities govern uh, under, you know, in a way that they are accountable to God, and that's whether they know it or not. And a peaceful, harmonious society in which people are free to exercise religious choice um, uh, is is one of the things that we uh, we ought to demand of uh, of our politicians. Does that mean you only ever vote for Christians? What if there isn't a Christian um, member standing for your electorate, a candidate? What if you have two Christian candidates, one from the left of politics and one from the right of politics? What if you have three? Then how do you choose? You've got to look at the issues and the effect that you believe that those issues will have on your nation um, in order to make up your mind. It's not probably just as we're not often presented with such a simple choice as just voting for the Christian candidate. I'll give you an example. In my electorate, um, when I was a member of parliament, I was a professing Christian and there was no doubt about it. I had uh, I'd made my position very, very plain. I was, however, a member of the Liberal Party. And I'm not anymore, by the way, but I was a member of the Liberal Party. And so I faced, when I went to... Um, you know, when I was handing out how to vote cards or whatever on, on polling day, I faced people standing there and and they're saying, oh, vote for the Christian candidate, you know, from, from this particular Christian party. And I'd say, but I'm a Christian candidate. Um, so how do you resolve that dilemma? Are you to say that any Christian who goes into a major party is not worth voting for because they will have to subject themselves to that party? That's what I was accused of. That's what Christians in politics generally are accused of. Well, you can't be, you can't be a Christian anymore because you've decided to to join a political party, and they will tell you what to do. Well, I resolved that, Neil, um, along the lines of what I've already spoken about. Uh, you know, in the party room and in the shadow cabinet, I argued forcefully for the things that I believed in, and on a couple of occasions where it came to a matter of conscience that I could not, in Christian conscience, support. I did what one has to do. I told the leader that I could not support the position that the Shadow Cabinet was taking and I was going to therefore have to resign from Shadow Cabinet. On one particular occasion, 
the the leader was so taken by that course of action that she reconvened the shadow cabinet on the matter and they changed the decision. So I didn't have to resign from the shadow cabinet. They took a different decision than they were going to take beforehand. And I, I used to find that often when you would just stand in place and state clearly what God had put on your heart, quite often it changed people's minds. It was, well, it was miraculous, actually. That's an issue of character, isn't it? Because mm. standing for what you believe uh, to mm. the point where it will make others re-examine their own position and uh, if your position in this re-evaluation is seen to be actually there's a strong point that you're making there's a uh, position of character that you're taking then then others will potentially uh, bend their own position to yours and that's what leadership is isn't it it's it's a matter of a leader standing firm uh, on it what is. they believe, and then others recognise the truth in what you stand for and therefore uh, are prepared to change their own position. Thank you so much to Chris from Victoria for your input today. And uh, one thing that Chris did pick up on, though, uh, was this idea of voting for uh, the Christian parties. And yes, there'd be Christians in both sides, in the major parties, uh, but uh, with Christian parties, they're, they're, they're seeing a window of opportunity in this coming election because of some... Mm. Uh, 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 unrest uh, from uh, from all sides of politics. Uh, what are your thoughts on these on these more minor Christian parties, Stephen? Um, look, they um, they have an opportunity to be part of potentially a, a Senate that will be um, that w- where the government won't have the majority. You know, yet again, it's likely that that the crossbench will have the majority in the Senate, and that means if there are Christians amongst that mix, then they'll have to um, trade on issues, just as everybody else does. At that point, obviously, they'll do so according to their Christian character, but they will be trading. They'll be trading one issue off against another. Uh, that's how it works. There's an arbitrage um, where the government says, look, if you support us on this matter, then we'll support your bill, your private member's bill on something else. Um, and you've got to be comfortable that that's what your Christian politicians will be doing. I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with that, but at that point, you've got to understand that they may take decisions I'll, I'll use water management because it's it's just a really it's a really kind example <laughs> yep. it's not too controversial you know um, someone will say look we've got to change the the way we, we manage water in this country so because you know in south australia <laughs> i just heard them the other day they're complaining because new south wales wants to pump some more water out of the murray for poor old broken hill um, so you know where do you stand on that and you're a senator you're a christian senator shall we say from queensland are you going to look after the South Australians? Uh, are you going to say, oh, okay, well, I understand that Broken Hill needs that water. How are you going to try? What, what is God's position on that? Someone will say to you. They are bound to say it to you. They used to ask me all the time, what does God think about this issue? What does God think about water management? Well, all right, let's, let's continue the example. God thinks that God has provided water for all of us, and we have the responsibility as stewards of the planet um, to look after our water supply, to make sure that it's fresh, and to allow it to, um, you know, nourish God's people. And you say, yes, 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 but on this particular matter, shall we turn on the tap to Broken Hill or not? What does God say about that one? And you've got to, you've got, at the end of the day, you're going to make a decision. You're going to vote on that matter. And some Christians will like you for it and some Christians will hate you for it and I'm using that word quite deliberately Mm. this is the reality of politics in Australia today and I don't it it sometimes seems it it seems incredibly simple doesn't it to say oh we just get more Christians into the parliament and we'll get a better outcome yeah we might we may well remember they will have to do the things that politicians do 
they will have to do it with honour. And that would be the change. <laughs> that actually would be the change, wouldn't it? There is a big debate that's going on in Australia, and it's not just about the marriage issue, but also what accompanies the marriage issue, and that is the Safe Schools Coalition program, which teaches children about gender fluidity. I'm wondering, in your position as CEO of Christian Schools Australia, what sort of impact does it have on Christian Schools Australia uh, when uh, these sorts of things are bandied about and and uh, one side of politics or multiple sides of, uh, of uh, opposition uh, politics uh, almost demanding that all schools introduce a program like this? Uh, what are your thoughts, Stephen? Well, we're very concerned about the Safe Schools program, uh, in particular the Safe Schools Coalition materials that accompany the program. The aims of the program itself... and they include, you know, to ensure that no child who um, identifies as uh, same-sex attracted and and in a range of other uh, ways is discriminated against, that no child is discriminated against. Well, that's a fantastic aim. Of course, we support that aim. In order to achieve that aim, though, to um, teach children at a stage that's inappropriate, uh, that they can choose their own gender and therefore choose their own sexuality is uh, a horrendous outcome. Um, the the ways in which the Safe Schools Coalition materials go about that um, was really very inappropriate in our view. The federal government acted correctly. So, uh, Simon Birmingham acted very correctly in the way in which he um, demanded changes for that program. Uh, we're very concerned that Daniel Andrews in Victoria has said that he'll fund the program exactly the way it was before and force all state schools in Victoria to implement it. Um, I want to be clear, though, uh, Christian schools, independent schools, Catholic schools, they don't have to use that material that the federal government... uh, Sorry, they don't have to use that safe schools material. And unless Daniel Andrews um, forces that and, and ties it to funding in Victoria they will continue to exercise their choice not to use that material. If he did that, he would very much be crossing a line. And I'll tell you where, uh, where that line is. It's the line that says parents have not just a responsibility, but, uh, you know, indeed under God's authority, parents need to be uh, involved in the education of their kids. In particular, parents need to be involved in these questions that relate to personhood. Who am I? Uh, and parents need to be uh, in in the mix. Um, they need to be consulted. Even the the government's own mission statement for education, which is called the Melbourne Declaration, this was the ministers of Australia all agreed. It's the current mission statement for for education in this country. It says that education is a partnership, indeed a collective responsibility. It says of governments with parents, other community members, um, social institutions, so churches are involved in that, and business and so on. We are in this together. It takes a village to raise a child. What Daniel Andrews is forcing on state school kids in Victoria is that whether their parents like it or not, they will be subjected to material about their sexuality that their parents may not want them to be subjected to. He'll cut the parents out of that loop. And that's a very dangerous thing for governments to do. When it comes to Christian schools, you say they are at present exempt, but there are always, there's like a continuity of chipping away by groups like the Greens to change 
equal opportunity uh, uh, acts and uh, and things that would potentially manoeuvre to a place where governments may, may well impose on all students in all schools yep. some of these things. Is that something you uh, you know lose a little bit of sleep over? <laughs> I don't lose sleep over it. Um, <laughs> interesting. I don't lose sleep over many things these days, but. Um, uh, but it is um, it is very high on our list of priorities. I mentioned that our election priorities would be number one, students with disabilities. Um, number two, if there was such a thing, let's say equal first, is is obviously the right to have schools in Australia that operate on the genuine basis of the faith of the associated church or parents who have chosen that school. Now, all around the country, we've got the right to do that in various ways through exemptions to um, the Anti-Discrimination Act or the Equal Opportunities Act or the Human Rights Act. These acts have different names in different places. But basically, there's a recognition in Australian law that if you're a faith-based school, any faith, by the way, but if you're a faith-based school run by um, a, a religious, run for a religious purpose, then you are exempt from those parts of the Anti-Discrimination Act that say, generally speaking, you can't choose people of a certain faith when you're advertising or employing people. So if you're on a, a milk bar, um, you can't say only Christians can apply for this milk bar because it's not its purpose is not um, to propagate a religion. But as a school or a church are for the purposes of propagating religion, they have an exemption that says, oh, if you're this type of school, you are allowed to require that the person you employ is going to be a Christian. Now, why is that important to us? Well, it's important because um, Christian schools, the objective of Christian schools is to provide an excellent education within which children receive spiritual formation. We don't separate as Christians um, the things, the daily things of this world, whether it's mathematics or English or whatever it might be, from our Christian faith. We say God is involved in his creation, and as Christians, we want to reflect his, um, his kingdom when we engage with the world. So as we learn about um, whether it's history or with mathematics or whatever, engineering, uh, we've spoken about water resource management this morning, uh, we bring a Christian perspective to that that starts with God has made us in his image. God wants us um, to, to, uh, to love him and to love others, as Jesus would say. Uh, in order to have that sense of spiritual formation in everything that a Christian school does, it is a work of the church, church with a small c. And therefore, the people who work there are part of that great mission, spiritual formation along with an excellent education, those two things together, not separated. And this would be this would be an element, isn't it, of what we would hope to maintain, of religious freedom, because with the various things that are being said during the election campaign and with the challenges that are coming, and particularly related to the marriage debate, there are threats to religious freedom. There are. So the Daniel Andrews government um, is threatening to change the law in Victoria relating to our ability to choose staff on the basis of their religion. Now, it's... There's a deep discussion there that we could have on a different day, probably Neil, about mm. about why uh, about the way in which they want to change it. It won't remove; they, they're not going to remove our right to choose people of religion, but they will make it much harder 
and they'll subject schools, we think, to um, uh, to inappropriate, precipitous action on the part of um, on the part of those people who want to see all religion out of all education, and that would include people in the Greens Party. So the Greens would do away with our um, freedom to choose staff on the basis of their religion. That's their policy. We cannot accept that policy. Daniel Andrews would water down, he's the Victorian Labor Premier, would water down that ability. Um, and uh, obviously we can't accept that either. We think that it's about right where it is at the moment. There's a bigger question for us as a society, leaving aside the operation of schools, about this religious freedom question. And I'm one of those who thinks that um, at the moment we seem to have lost the sense in this country amongst reasonable people that it's it, it's uh, that it's a right in this country to exercise your religion and to speak openly about that religion is a public square matter now that doesn't mean I've got the right to um, to vilify it doesn't mean I've got the right to hate I don't need the law to tell me that. I've got the Ten Commandments. I've got the example of Jesus to tell me that I don't have the right to hate people in my society or act in a violent way towards them or to do them ill. Jesus says that I need to love everybody. So the law reflects that, and I like that. I like the fact that in our common law society, under the rule of law, it basically reflects those Christian values. Um, but the fact that these days, if someone stands up as a Christian on Facebook and Twitter, on the radio, in the newspaper or out in the public street, um, that they're vilified and instantly called a bigot really, really concerns me. We've lost something in our society whereby even if I don't agree with you, I'm going to agree with your right to hold a religious view and to act in accordance with that view. Uh, significant things that are happening uh, with regard to threats to religious freedom. Let me come back to Christian Schools Australia. And uh, my understanding, Stephen, is that Christian schools around the nation are flourishing and uh, the numbers of Christian schools continue to increase. Is there is there any of that increase, any of that flourishing that might be due to uh, jittery parents who are thinking <laughs> about the state school system and wondering whether their children will receive the sorts of values input that they'll receive in a Christian school. Is that a part of what, uh, what makes uh, Christian schools flourish? Um, a very big part of me wants to say no. Hmm. Um, I believe in public education. I think it does a great job in this country. It always has. And it's, got, and it's very important we have a very good public edu- education system. It's important we have a public education system which actually allows people in appropriate ways to develop their wholeness as a human being by attending, for example, a Christian scripture class. But sadly, we, we constantly face a challenge Public education, when it began in Australia, and certainly when I was growing up through the 60s and 70s, it had a bigger view about what it was to be secular. The original meaning of the word secular was that you didn't choose or you weren't, you weren't choosing one particular religion over another. And, and indeed, when public education started, it was a highly sectarian society, um, borrowing on from our, from our British roots where Catholics and Anglicans, you know, it, that, that was a sectarian issue. Secularism was about not being sectarian. 
Um, but there was a place, and there still must be a place, to talk about religion and to allow people to exercise their religion in appropriate ways in the public school system. That's why we've got to stand up. When what's happening in Queensland is is um, is a travesty. One principal decides that in Christian scripture classes, uh, someone is not allowed to encourage people to love Jesus. Excuse me. The parents have chosen that Christian scripture class, and the state has no role in telling them that they can't. That actually crosses the line. And as the Catholic Archbishop of Sydney said not very long ago, uh, um, free, uh, religious the separation between church and state is actually protecting the church from the state. <laughs> That's right. It's it's the opposite way around in a lot of yes. people's general thinking these days. And uh, yes. and reflecting on the the history of uh, Christian schools in Australia, going right back to the nineteenth century. I'm not you'll you'll be familiar with some of that history. And uh, and I wasn't there, Neil. You have to remember <laughs> <that>. <laughs> okay, uh, but going back to to those times, and uh, as I understand the history, when uh, state schools were introduced, because the schools in Australia were introduced by. Uh, you've got the Anglican Church or the Church of England, as it was Absolutely. then, and uh, and the Catholic Church. Yep. And when state schools became established, the Catholic churches continued very strongly because uh, they had uh, nuns and brothers who'd work for nothing uh, to be able to bring those to pass. But then you had uh, you had Protestants pulling out of of education uh, in a, in a way uh, that they've come back into really in these past few decades. Uh, and, and this is, I guess, uh, is part of what you're you're uh, leading in Christian Schools Australia, a resurgence of of Protestant uh, Christian schools, and uh, and mm. it's growing from strength to strength. Yeah, and our friends in the Catholic school system are saying that I think about a third of the kids, a third or more of the kids in Catholic schools are not Catholics. Mm. Um, so there is a general clamouring after a faith-based education approach in Australia even by, and I might say at the moment especially by, people who don't go to church. Mm. Where we're seeing very big growth around the country in our type of schooling, the schools that I represent are generally um, affordable fee schools. They're run by a local church or a local group of Christian parents. They have a distinct um, Christian ethos within the school, which comes about because everybody employed in that school sees themselves as a disciple of Christ, whose job it is to disciple kids. All right. The growth around Australia is of non-Christian or non-churched parents, sometimes not churched for a generation or more in their own families. <laughs> they come to that moment we spoke about before. Your child is born. Next point of decision, your child is going to go to school. Which values are going to influence your child? When, when you understand as a parent that the choice of schooling that you make is about the character formation of your child and who is going to sow into that for their emotional well-being, their social development, their academic, physical, yes, and their spiritual development, who's going to sow into that? That's the question you're asking yourself. And increasingly, parents around the country who don't go to church themselves, who didn't even go to Sunday school themselves, who might not even understand the difference between the Old and New Testament, they're looking down the road and they say, that school there, that Christian school, stands for something. And I want some of that for my child. That's the big revolution that's taking place in Australian education today. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 
2020 on Vision. Stephen O'Doherty, CEO, Christian Schools Australia, our guest. We've been talking faith, we've been talking politics, we've been talking education and Christian Schools. Stephen is CEO of Christian Schools Australia. Uh, time for one more call. Robin's in Mount Morgan. Hi, Robin. Welcome along. Yes, hi. Um, this is such a, an emotional um, thing for me. It, it's just humongous. This whole thing of so-called safe schools and whatever, they don't know what they're, they're doing. They're opening a Pandora's box. And um, I agree with you, and I just get so frustrated. I wish we could um, get words that are not religified, that, that most people recognize as religion, and, and speak life to them, because that's what it is. Um, as a psych nurse many years ago, um, there were, we had a lot of, um, quite a few homosexual patients and I'm telling you that the confusion that is in those people, that it's not, they're not suffering just because other people are judging them or whatever. They are suffering from internal confusion. And the other thing is um, some of those homosexuals became homosexuals because they were molested especially as children, young boys or whatever. There's an awful and lot of uh, reasons there, aren't there, Robin? Yeah. But let's uh, some thoughts from Stephen O'Doherty on issues to do with confusion, uh, issues uh, to do with uh, the Safe Schools program and, uh, and some of the consternation that's been causing around the place. Uh, Stephen, your response to Robin? Look, Christian schools are concerned to act compassionately uh, towards everybody within the school. And I think we all understand what it is to be a young person growing up with all of the different pressures impacting on you and the effect of culture, uh, in particular, a culture that itself is very confused. Um, we want to deal compassionately with every student in, in, uh, in our school. And some of those will be same-sex attracted. And some of those, according to... Um, we had a seminar recently, Neil, where uh, Stephen Stathis... Um, a, a, an adolescent psychiatrist from Brisbane, um, and Robin will be familiar with that world if she's been a psych nurse, um, where he spoke to us about some of the genetic things that are happening at the moment, um, where in some cases children get to puberty and their their sexuality, their, their, their actual gender, their biological sex is not clear-cut. Um, the principals were uh, amazed to, to learn about the extent to which that is happening in their schools, and many of them don't see it, probably because people um, are so worried about what would happen if they spoke openly about that in their lives that they don't that they don't reveal it. Um, our responsibility is to care for everybody as Jesus would care for him, is what I'm saying, and and our schools want to deal compassionately with that issue. To have a government authority coming in and forcing kids to role play being other genders or other sexualities or even giving them access to material that suggests they should be doing things to their own body, uh, is horrendous, and it cannot be allowed to continue. Um, and if Daniel Andrews insists on it, he will force more parents to take options other than state schooling. They will just opt out. Thank you to Robin from Mount Morgan for your input today, and time has run out. Uh, Stephen, uh, the the website for Christian Schools Australia, uh, csa.edu.au. Uh, who can benefit most from visiting that website? Is it people who are interested in Christian schooling? Is there resources there that people can look at if they're in- interested and concerned about some of the issues that Christian schools face? Uh, what's on yes. your website? 
Yeah, we put a page up actually last night. It's interesting you should ask because um, just last night we put up a, a page there that um, shows what we've asked the major parties, all, all the parties, in the run-up to the federal election. We're waiting, we hope today, to get their responses. I must say they have been very tardy in doing their homework. Uh, so we'll be giving them a D for timeliness. Um, that'll help Christians to understand what the issues are for Christian schools, and that'll help Christians to ask questions of their local candidates about those issues. Um, and at the end of the day, either probably either the Labor Party or the Liberal Party, will, the coalition will form government, and that government, we will want them to do certain things. And we're asking very reasonable issues about religious freedom and about funding of Christian schools. That's all available on our website for people to take a look at. And as you've said, it's csa.edu.au. Stephen O'Doherty is the CEO of Christian Schools Australia. That website is csa.edu.au. Stephen, great getting your insights today. Thank you so much for being with us on 2020. It's always good. Thank you so much, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.